Welcome to tonight's episode, I guess tomorrow's episode? Today's episode? The next episode of Myths and Stories. Uh, we're diving deep uh, on this one. This is this is this is it. This is I. Myth and I have looked around, and I don't think anybody has definitively done this, and so we might be the first. Um, I I think I think maybe. Uh, and I don't want that to come across as as arrogant because that's not the intention. But I I just really truly have not seen anyone uh make a attempt at a providing a definition of some of the the things that we're going to be talking about tonight um and then trying to connect that to uh other overarching entities in in the lore so everything so what is tonight's episode the beginning of this is the beginning of the light and darkness all of it the winnower the gardener the traveler the witness light dark our theories on it what we think about it scientifically what we think about it in game where we think this stuff comes from what we think is what all of our crazy crazy supporting evidence that that myth has combed through billions of tomes of destiny uh uh grimoires and 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 lore cards to get all of this stuff put in one spot so uh without further ado uh let's start this so number one what the hell is the light and dark yeah so the that's 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 kind of we're we're starting off with one of the big ones um because we know what the light and dark lets us do and we've seen the effects of light and dark. Um, but I don't even in game, we don't really have a definition of what those things are. Uh so there's there's not like a dude sitting on the side, like we come over like, hey, what is light? And he's like, uh flip, 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 flip. Uh light, <laughs> noun, uh does stuff with things. Right, yeah. That seems pretty accurate to what the in-game explanation is. That's that's about as close as we get, uh, right? <laughs> then they're like, okay, well, what is darkness? Uh, flip, 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 flip. Darkness, noun, also does things, but with other stuff. Yep, sounds that's, sounds sounds good to me. That's our uh, that's can, our starting definition. Yep. So we wanted to expand a little further than that. Uh, so I I we we were taking this from a couple different approaches. Now, obviously. Destiny is a fictional universe. It is. It does not adhere strictly Bull to the rules shit. and laws of physics and thermodynamics as we know it in real life. However, hell, it doesn't. However, I do think that we can use what those those physics and and thermodynamic laws uh, and apply them at least a little bit to these powers that are in game and try to provide an explanation of them. And there is some supporting evidence within the lore uh, for how I think we have made these definitions. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting to, to me to, to start off like that, right? Like we're trying to define paracausal powers or paracausal ability. I, do we call them abilities? What are, what? So, the way that I that I approached this is that by nature of being paracausal, it means it is an effect without cause. But 
the effect can still be measured. Okay. The the effect like still, you know, exists whether or not it has whether or not it, it follows the there must be a cause for each effect rule. Like sure. the the result is still there and, and measurable in some way. Um so let's start with the light because that is what we are most familiar with as as guardians in game. And the definition that I've come up with for light is that light is a paracausal effect without cause, energy resonance that operates on or affects any and all frequencies of the fundamental forces of the universe, which are electromagnetic, gravity, and nuclear simultaneously. That's a fucking mouthful. <laughs> that's, so, a, that's, a, that's a genuine mouthful. Do, you, do, we, do, do we need to, to start to, breaking the breakdown? Break it down, down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> to, to break it down a little bit. So uh, we are essentially saying that light is a energy that affects all, I, I hesitate to say uh, wavelength, you know, all waves. Um, but kind of, <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the same time, and the the this is now this is true so far as I'm aware, and I I'm not a physicist or anything, but uh, the fundamental forces of the universe as we know them right now are the electromagnetic spectrum, uh, which in game I believe is represented as arc, uh, gravitational force, which in game is represented by void. Uh, and nuclear force. Technically, it's strong nuclear and weak nuclear, but I'm condensing it into one here, uh, which in-game is represented by solar. Light generates all three of these, therefore it must affect all the, the entire uh, spectrum of fundamental forces of the universe. And, and why is it that you specifically um, are connecting those forces or, or uh, spectrums with the associated light uh, subclasses that you have? Uh, mostly like because why, like that why seems is... to be what those subclasses do. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, like why yeah, uh, why is void looked at as the as gravitational force? Why is arc looked at as uh, electromagnetic spectrum? Why is solar looked at as nuclear? Yeah, so um, you know, arc is electricity, for lack of a better term. Uh, and you know kind of the most aligning fundamental force for electricity would be electromagnetic. Weird. Uh, also, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, hmm. Uh, and say we see, you know, the, the electric parts, I think, speak for themselves, but we do, we can equate some magnetism even in the, the arc subclass and the arc mods. Usually the uh, arc abilities are focused around melee which you could say is like static uh, or, or sure. transfer of electrons between, you know, physically between two, two beings. Uh, some of the arc mods are around drawing things to ourselves, like the, the elemental well mod that draws the wells in is arc. Yeah. Um, Easily looked at as magnetism, right? Yep. For, for gravity and void, I I look no further than vortex grenades. <laughs> <laughs> they they literally draw people in. Uh it's all about um 
you know, per- that that kind of like gravitational force of trying to get things. Uh, I mean, e- even just the the thematics, the the aesthetics of it. Nova bombs look like black holes. Child of the old god again is like a little black hole. A little baby uh, black hole. Now, where that gets into like invisibility, uh, you could say that you know gravity can bend light. So invisibility is the use of gravity to bend light around the person going invisible or something to that, that effect. Okay, I got um, another one here for you for invisibility. Yeah. Uh, void, meaning the absence of everything. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like you are, use, you are shifting yourself, in, you are phase shifting yourself into the void to where it appears as if there is nothing there. Yeah. No, that again, an, another perfect interpretation of of how those would fit. Um, for nuclear force and solar, uh, nuclear force again, in my very layman's understanding, is generally speaking the expenditure of energy. Uh, and the most common way that energy is expended is via heat. Now, remember, we can't say expended because energy can't be destroyed. We can say transferred. Transferred, I suppose. Yeah, Tran- transferred from. This, from the system to the to outside the system there we uh, go and you know it, the the again most common way that transfer happens is via heat uh and so it just makes sense that heat would equal fire equal solar kind of thing so that is uh our definition of the light and to and to offer some supporting evidence to this and and another thing i want to i want to hone in act on first actually very specifically describing light as a energy resonance. Um, so to because it has a frequency, sure. and that that's confirmed in game. Light has a frequency, but that frequency seems to be different for every thing that is a is attuned to the light. Um, which. We've, we've theorized that the exact frequency of the light is infinite, which is why we think that it affects everything. Right. Uh, and I, I think that's not too far off. So, uh, to dig a little deeper into that idea, there's a couple of lore cards that are uh, worth talking about um the first is from the perfect paradox shotgun uh which is the shotgun from saint 14 uh back in the season of the worthy i think is what it was called uh with the sundial and all that yeah so the lore card on the perfect paradox shotgun reads as such and this is a, a message from St. 14 to us, the Guardian. And it says, I never found Osiris, but I've killed enough Vex to end a war. And they, in turn, struck a fatal blow. They completed a mind with the sole function to drain the light from me. It worked very well. Don't worry. Not that you worry much. It took them centuries to build and it was keyed to the unique frequency of my light, and I currently sit atop its shattered husk. 
So Saint is telling us that the Vex were only able to nullify his light by finding the unique frequency of the light emanating from him. And that that would essentially be that that's where we think of like resonance, right? Like so so that's the term of resonance, yeah. Right. Like the term resonant frequency, um, it, it's commonly referenced as like the exact frequency that something can vibrate at to break the chemical bonds in between the atoms, right? Like that's that's it's 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 a wavelength that is the equal and opposite of a given thing in 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 electronics and lasers it's it's called uh superpositioning theory um which is where when two wavelengths occur at the same time and place uh their amplitudes can be combined and so in this in this instance for resonant frequency it would be uh destructive uh interference um which is where the that they're canceling each other out the entire time to make that zero flat line, which is oddly enough how noise canceling work, headphones work. They just take the signal uh, from the outside and invert it 180 degrees and feed it back into itself, which then nullifies it. Um, so yeah, hooray science! You're the best. Hooray science! But basically, the Vex built a machine to do that for his light because the Vex can't. The Vex can't. Um, simulate you can't simulate light right any paracausal ability right yeah so we have the the perfect paradox shotgun which is confirming for us at least from saint's understanding that his light uh, operates at a unique frequency Um, and that that frequency was canceled out by the vex uh we also see some additional uh, information here on, on how the light works and where the light comes from uh, that just reinforces the idea that light, the energy, is not directly tied to the traveler or presumably any one entity in its current form. Boom. Bombshell. And, <laughs> uh, and so the first of which... Uh, comes from the Illuminous Grasps, which are the, uh, they were hunter gauntlets during, um, I believe, Season of the Splicer. And uh, it's a conversation in this lore card between uh, Mithrax or Misrax and his daughter, Ido. Uh, he's been trying to train Ido to become a splicer like him. And it that conversation reveals some info for us. So, that lore card goes as such. Misrax's considerable patience was beginning to wear thin. No, Ido, no. Splicing is not about thinking, it's about feeling. Feel the energy flow from the ground, through your legs, up your torso, and through your arm. His arms wave circular patterns in the air as if gently wafting smoke upwards. The movement of the gauntlet is the continuation of a motion that begins deep in the heart of the planet, where it keeps its light. Ido took several deep breaths and extended her mind's eye through the ground, deep into the well of light at the center of the planet. 
She followed the light through the firmament, up through her body, and into the gauntlet. It whirred smoothly to life. Yes, just so, Misrax encouraged her. Now feel the light extend from the gauntlet into the shank. Feel its code lying dormant. It is sleeping, waiting for you to wake it. Ido extended the gauntlet. A surge of energy shot from its claws, sending crackles of electricity rippling across the shank's surface. In her shock, Ido jerked the gauntlet away, which severed the connection. The electricity sparked for an instant longer, then went still. So this card from Misrax or Mithrax's uh, understanding of the light and Ido's uh, description of accessing the power of the light through and channeling it into the splicer gauntlet tells us a couple things. Tells us that this power, this energy that we call light, exists just naturally within planets, within the cores of planets in, in this case, and can be accessed and used by non-guardians through the use of some sort of what appears to be meditation to, to access the power and bring it into themselves, and then a mechanical a unit of some sort, in this case the splicer gauntlet, to then take that energy and wield it in some useful fashion. And in this sense, rezzing with electricity. Please, for the love of God, <laughs> give Arc Warlocks res abilities. That's fine. You can you can give it back to 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 Solar Warlocks as well. Just saying, show us a little love. We we, we can shock we... things back to life. We do not need to have Sunsinger come back or anything like it ever again. Um, but I would love to see a unique res animation for Arcor Locks where they just like rub their rub their index fingers together and do a little clear. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that I'm on board with. <laughs> yeah, or a finisher. Uh, anyway, um, oh, that'd be cool because anything you can start a heart with, you can stop it with too, right? Like. All it takes is Uh, half an amp across your heart. That'll kill you. So, this, again, just furthers our understanding. Light, this energy, exists already in the universe, in the cores of planets. It exists where, uh, now it doesn't state where Mistrax and Ido are doing this training, but we know splicers existed on, um, you know, the the Elixni homeworld. Clearly, their their technology is still working here, as well. It's been used in Europa. It's been used, ev- you know, everywhere we used it, as well as everywhere say, Mithrax we, has been. We used it. Uh, we used it on the moon. We used it on Europa. I'm trying to think of everywhere we went in season of the splicer that that we were actively doing splicing. Um, moon so Europa. This, this brings about another uh, piece of my definition or, or our definition of the light. And this is going to be something that we talk about more when we uh, get to the flower game and kind of Destiny's version of of Genesis. Um, And that is that light is one of the fundamental forces 
that created the Destiny universe and is inherently in all things within the Destiny universe. Boom. Bombshell number two. <laughs> Hence why they're able to access it to uh, regardless well, of where they're at to run right? the like, yeah to run the splicer gauntlet in this case yeah. um the last lore card that is going to uh, reference light specifically and some of the ideas we've brought up is the lore card on the splicer gauntlet itself uh and it reads uh, and this is the uh, inspection of the gauntlet from the perspective of uh, a cryptarch, I believe Rahul, maybe a different cryptarch, but <laughs> if 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 it's Rahul, we know we can take it with a grain of salt because that dude's canonically a dick and nobody likes him. Yep. Uh, it reads as such: the sacred splicers of House Light believe they have cultivated a mystical connection to the traveler. They say that they can refocus light through the prism of their will after studying one of the few splicer gauntlets that fit non-elixney hands graciously created by mithrax we have determined that the wrist mounted gauntlet is little more than a converter that can be used to focus trace amounts of residual light already present in the environment a trained splicer can use their gauntlet to interface with any latent data networks in the vicinity this allows the bearer to access technological mundanities as well as deeper, infinitely more protected networks, including the Vex domain itself. In closing, the sacred splicers merely exploit a tool that induces light to resonate at frequencies approaching that of the Vex network, enabling them to access, enabling them access to certain low-security Vex systems. So, boom. This again just reinforces, you know, light is a residual energy present in the environment. The splicer gauntlets are taking that energy and focusing it at a specific frequency that then allows them to access uh in this case data networks. Is it seems to be what they're most proficient at which would be in the electromagnetic spectrum. Right. This, this kind of brings up a couple of questions, right? Like, if if it can siphon any... Now, it does specifically say residual light, right? Like, because yes. I guess that, that, that brings the question of where does our light as the Guardian come from? So, my guess is that our light is a little different. Uh our not not that the energy we're using is different, but the way it's it's accessed is different. We are not necessarily getting gaining residual energy from light around us because frankly we're doing things much more powerful than what the splicer gauntlet can ever do. It, the, just as the, far as like pure just output. hacking a network. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess in, when I first was, was reading through this stuff, originally I equated the ghost to a very advanced function of the splicer gauntlet, where sure. the ghosts were uh, taking light in, and then we were using the ghost to channel that light in a very specific way to do whatever we needed to do. 
I can get I don't, on board with that. I don't think that's the case anymore. Uh-oh. Uh, well, shit. Kind of, <laughs> kind of what I've... I, the conclusion I've come to is not necessarily that uh, that, that idea is wrong, but it, that it's reverse. The Ooh. ghost is the one bringing light into itself and it is then channeling that light through us we are the splicer gauntlet analog in that example and the ghost is technically where the light is residing oh shit that's a mind fuck i i feel like that just fits a little better now we're you can maybe say that the ghost is channeling it into us and the ghost is not necessarily having the intention of okay you guardian are now going to use a nova bomb Right. It's it's channeling it into us, and then we are acting as the filter of what form that is going to take. That that I that makes sense. I like that. It, it it lines up with a lot of things. It lines up with why when you know we were cut off from the light, we couldn't just absorb it from the environment. Yeah. Uh, it lines up with why uh, you need a ghost in general to be able to to do any of this. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like I like that definition. So, so then I guess that brings me back to the to the the idea of the splicer gauntlet. Can a, since since it is just siphoning residual light, could it possibly siphon it from a ghost or from a guardian or from a hive? Right, like can, could can this residual does this energy has to just be like untapped, unused energy, um, or or can it be like Hey, this 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 guardian just let off a nova bomb, and I'm just going to splice your gauntlet that nova bomb into my splicer gauntlet. That's a good question. Knowing what we know, uh, what information is available to us, I don't think there's necessarily any reason a splicer gauntlet couldn't use light that's been output from a from another source. Uh, I do wonder if the main limitation is that the splicer gauntlets can't handle that amount of energy. And so like by trying to absorb it into a, a splicer gauntlet, you just you just fry the thing and it you know sure. explodes sure. or something. It's essentially like a, like an overvoltage type thing. Like it's yeah. it can only handle so much light and, and in this and in that instance you've focused you you as the guardian have focused this this much light into such a destructive force being a nova bomb that the spice the splicer gauntlet's like, eh nope and just itself yeah i mean if, if the splicer gauntlet was built to only ever handle these like residual levels of energy and you know you give it hundreds of times that all in sure. one go like it's probably not going to end too well um and the splicer gauntlet does seem to very specifically hone in on the electromagnetic side of things uh but light in general is not necessarily always in the electromagnetic spectrum Right, right. We've and that's that's what we were just saying here. You know, the 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 void being a gravitational so that, force. Yeah, that might be another limitation. Is that uh, you know, maybe splicer gauntlets are very specifically tuned to only access the electromagnetic side of light, and if you try and feed it anything else, it just can't because it's not built for that. Sure. Uh, now that we've done kind of our very general, this is what we think light is, uh, I'm going to offer what we think dark is. 
I, I was fixing to ask. Are, have have we covered everything that we thought about with the light? We we've looked at it from a scientific point of view, right? We've looked I, at it from a in-game point of view. So I think we've covered, or at least I, the notes I've got, I think we've covered light in the broad strokes. Um, with and there there's going to be pieces that uh we see applied to other sections of our discussion sure um like i said specifically one surrounding ghosts and then uh also one surrounding like uh some pieces of the marasena and sure. whatnot that i want to talk about i would also um, think the before... traveler himself would be a good you know. Yeah, and, and the traveler. <laughs> um, but before we get to that, I think it's good to talk about dark because a lot of times in these lore cards, they're they're talking about both at the same time. Yeah. Um, to recap, definition of light was that it's a paracausal energy that operates on or affects all frequencies of the fundamental forces of the universe, those being electromagnetic, arc, gravity, known as void, nuclear, known as solar. Uh, by comparison, then, our operating definition of the dark is an energy that is the anti-resonance of the light, meaning it cancels it out or reduces it to zero, that has its own unique effects on the universe in the form of a paracausal change in entropy in a localized area. All right, so that was another mouthful. <laughs> Let's break that down. <laughs> so similar to light, dark operates across a, a large spectrum. Um, and now originally when we first talked about this, we talked about light as being infinite and dark as being zero. Yep. And I don't think that's incorrect, but I don't think it's 100% correct either. So I think the the more... The more apt way of saying it is that light is infinite and dark is zero relative to light Ooh. is the important bit. So dark is an opposite to light. Now we're getting into theory of relativity now. Not, not quite theory of relativity. <laughs> but dark, dark is the opposite of light. Uh, and in that, it is always going to be the anti-resonance of whatever light is. It is always going to directly cancel light out or reduce it to zero, and or reduce it to zero. Um, now again, I'm not a physicist. I, I, none of this is my ballpark. I, I had a very crash course this week. Uh, <laughs> see this. This is where this is where it's hard to quantify video game stuff. Sometimes you have yes. to say just because <laughs> fucking video game. But I'm going to take a chance game. here, and I'm going to try to break this down into okay. into something that I think I can understand. Resonance, right? That's the frequency at which something vibrates um, to to exist in the world. Um, so then, essentially, anti-resonance would be what 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 would cancel that thing out to stop moving completely right like to to make that that thing appear to to stop so here's here's maybe a, a another way to spin it that that might maybe is more understandable maybe is less who knows um <laughs> so We're, this is getting hard man this, this, is, this is getting this hard is getting i know genuinely hard <laughs> so the, the we'll be out of the physics weeds here shortly i promise 
Um, to hell with that. So let, let's let's look at it this way. Uh, if the light is acting on an object um, to make that object do something. So a guardian is using a storm caller and is projecting electricity at an object, at an enemy, let's say. Okay. The anti-resonance that dark provides would be the force the darkness force would act on the same enemy and its action would cancel out the the action of the arc if that makes sense okay okay so so object ob, object a uses uses arc mm-hmm. to to hit object b yes object b would then resonate at whatever frequency that arc is being uh uh used at i mm-hmm. yeah we'll say, we'll we'll say that then anti resonance darkness object c uses anti arc we'll call it anti arc through the form of through through the use of darkness uh on object b and then cancels out that resonance to where object B is now unaffected by both forces. Correct. As soon as one force lets off, object B is now under the effects of the other force. Yes. So even 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 if in the same instance, you know, object object A and C are using their arc and anti arc to 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 screw around with object b as soon as one of those two if if object a stops right like if if the arc stops now this thing is resonating at another at a different type of frequency almost almost at like a like an equal and opposite so if light were to cause a wave to start going in one direction dark is the exact amount of energy needed to return that back to zero Superpositioning and, and to stay at zero. Superpositioning theory. That's exactly what's happening there. Okay. Uh. So. <laughs> it, d- dark is dark is weird and hard <laughs> to try and explain. I'm telling you, man. In this like, in this way. C- well, because right now the only the only type of uh, in-game reference we have to darkness is stasis. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is this is where this is where and I somebody's gonna say it. Somebody's gonna be like, oh well stasis is just freezy bullshit. It's the opposite of solar. Wrong. Very wrong. Wrong. Uh, so I'm I'm actually gonna talk about that. So uh the I was gonna say, do you got your reference more, cards? I do. I have my reference cards. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> more so the the thing I want people to take away from this, more than the whole idea of anti resonance. Uh, really, all you should remember is that dark cancels out the energy of light, and and vice versa, right? And like vice if, versa. If, yep, they if, are direct opposites just, of each other. Yep. Yep. And and uh, dark has the paracausal ability to change entropy in a localized pocket. Now, what does that mean? 
So yeah, um, I was going to say, let's break that down. <laughs> so this will hopefully be a little easier to understand. General entropy is uh, a way of keeping track of how energy is dispersed. If entropy is going up, it means that energy dispersal is going up. There is more chaos in the system that is being observed. Uh, if entropy is going down, that means that energy is being is is reaching a more orderly state. Uh, a very good example of this would be water molecules. When you freeze H2O, it lines up the molecules into a structure and you get ice. If you allow that ice to melt, you increase the entropy. The uh, molecules then spread apart and become more fluid and no longer have structure. They return to a liquid state. Now, stasis is not water. <laughs> stasis is, uh, well, I'll just read the in game explanation of stasis and then we'll try and break that down a bit. Okay. So this comes from the Witch Queen Collector's Edition journal. Uh, specifically, a very long piece that I've only picked a sentence or two out of uh, from a ghost by the name of Cowlick. And this is Cowlick's analysis on stasis. And they say, the extraordinary property of stasis is its ability to create ordered structure from chaos. It doesn't care what kind of matter is available. It just sucks entropy out of the system until it's got a crystal. So what Cowlick is saying is that when you throw a grenade and create a stasis crystal, what that stasis power, what that darkness energy in the form of stasis is doing is it is taking whatever is in, in its vicinity, regardless of what type of matter it is, be it you know what's in the air, the ground it's, it's sticking to, the people around it or enemies around it, and it is forcing any and all of the molecules of that matter to order itself into a crystal. It is, re- it is forcefully reducing the entropy in that localized area until it turns into a crystallized structure. I don't know why, but I always, I always equate entropy to time. Well, okay. Again, not a physicist. <laughs> crash course over the week. My understanding is that uh, now we bring in some, some fuzziness here, but I think we can still make it fit the definition uh, with deep sight, the, most, the newest darkness power that came out with Witch Queen. Uh, so deep sight, and th- this is going to go back to what we just talked about with the direction of time. So um, this comes from Wikipedia, just be <laughs> forewarned. Uh, Cite your sources. <laughs> entropy. Wikipedia. Yeah, right. Uh, it lists, entropy is one of the few quantities in physical sciences that requires a particular direction for time, sometimes called an arrow of time. As one goes forward in time, the second law of thermodynamics says the entropy of an isolated system can increase but not decrease. Thus, entropy measurement is a way of distinguishing the past from the future. So, 
if we were to take that at at face value as that definition and we apply a paracausality control of entropy to that i think theoretically then you could force a particular thing or area to reverse time by lowering the entropy of that area boom bombshell time which we perceive in game as the memories of say mars where there are those pockets around mars that have like what look like crops growing from the golden age i think the the main takeaway there is that darkness dark energy is always searching for order is always searching yes. to lower you know we say lower the entropy it is searching for a more ordered form of the of whatever it is it's affecting um and it has the paracausality to do that uh when we're comparing light and dark to each other light operates on the fundamental forces of the universe dark is the direct opposite of whatever light is doing at that time and can affect the entropy, the order of a particular area. Light brings complexity and uncertainty. Dark brings order and clarity. Ooh, I think those like are the big spray. bullet points. That's I why think those are the big bullet clarity. Points. So that's kind of the the very broad uh definitions that have arrived on for those and we can see light and dark interact in a couple of spots in the lore um that is really interesting to see what it does so if we go to the maris senna uh specifically the section titled cosmogear 4 we can, we can see a telling of this interaction from Mara. And uh, that bit goes as such. Suddenly, as if the void around her has just spon- spontaneously big-banged, she sees light. A point of pure white shines in the cosmic distance. Not just visible luminance, her suit, decomposes the spectrum but light in the radio microwave ultraviolet gamma a total and all embracing radiation it sings it chatters it speaks in a voice older than the sun's she feels that she could furrier the voice for a century and never decompose it into its parts it is awesome and appalling and piercingly true Mara understands how those who die in radiation accidents must feel. A single flash of invisible power sears away all possible futures except one. She feels her soul itself has been ionized, blasted into a higher energy state. The light pierces the darkness, not like the sunrise, not like a wall or a flood, but a single ray a finger of radiance that reaches out through the deepest night to touch her 
It illuminates Mara, Aldwin, and Yang Lui. It is not quite enough. It cannot vanquish the shadow. Thus, Mara finds herself drifting on the edge of the light and the darkness, on the dusk and dawn gradient between the two. She feels a contest, a battle fought, an equilibrium reached, not a truce, but an infinite limit, like an equation dividing by zero, a collision of two violent eternities. Mara queries Yang Lui for telemetry, and her sensorium fills with the terrified screams of gravitational instruments. She howls, too, a feral sound, ecstatic and lost, a wolf baying at the stars. She knows what's happening. Too much power has gathered here. The universe is appalled by the paradox. Nothing that has glimpsed this collision of infinitudes can, come, can be allowed to escape. The cosmos must censor its embarrassment. It must sequester the anomaly. The slope of warped space-time around them has become too steep, and now every path outward or forward bends back to the center where light and dark collide. The definition of future has become synonymous with the definition of inward. This is why it's called an event horizon. For an object within the horizon, the path of all future things that can be done or seen leads inevitably to the center. All events lead inward. A singularity forming around her. A black hole created by the concentration of raw energy. So we have a couple things here that are kind of confirmed for us. Uh, or, or are confirmed at least from Mara's perspective. Yeah, the, in an infinite limit, like an equation dividing by zero, a collision of two violent eternities, the, these, are, these forces are so opposite each other. They're, they're, they're two immovable objects coming to clash. Yep. Uh, what's being described here is the creation of... of the distributary um, right. via this collision of, of light and dark uh, meeting at the, the time of the collapse. And, and it's just raw light and raw dark energy. And, and, you know, she confirms for us light is seen on every spectrum, on every wave, uh, you know, radio, microwave, ultraviolet, gamma, every single type of radiation and energy wave light is affecting and it's hitting this immovable force of darkness and they're just they're stalemated forever and without either giving way permanently stalemated and that collection of energy from either side just literally tears a hole in in the the fabric of space time and we get a black hole yep so just lends some credence to uh, I think to our definitions thus far. Um, yep. The other piece that I wanted to pull from that I think is relevant to this is actually a dialogue that happens between the drifter and the emissary in the prophecy dungeon. And this is not necessarily uh, going to explain, it's not going to explain or further expand on the definitions we've provided. 
but it's going to expand on the idea that light and dark are energies not a they're like they're the light not a is not being. a sentient thing yeah yeah and what it would look like if we had a world of nothing but light or a world of nothing but dark so that that conversation goes like this the emissary dredgen let's play a game your kind reveals so much in the choices you make drifter the hell does that mean you know what okay i'll bite emissary your feet find purchase in shifting sands drifter okay why is it getting hot do you feel that guardian i can't i can't see anything emissary the night has enveloped you this is a world full of dark no sparks drifter what's that smell emissary the stench of dead drifter am i dead i hope so because what i'm smelling i don't want to be touching emissary you stand atop a dead world a collapse drifter get me out of here emissary very well your feet find purchase in shifting sands drifter Holy hell, what are you doing now? It's too bright. Emissary, the sun is blinding. This is a world full of light. No shadows. A creature runs into you in its blindness. It nearly bowls you over. Drifter, hey, watch it. What was that? That's not funny. The emissary, it has lived here all its life. Too long. It is very old. But if you could see, you would see it still appears young. Drifter. Okay, when I said get me out of here, I didn't I meant I was done with your bull, the emissary. It grabs your hands. Drifter, don't touch me. Emissary, it begs. It begs you for help. Drifter, you call this a game? Emissary, it begs you for death. On this world ruled by full light, it cannot die. It has companions that are as long-lived as it. It hates them, and they hate it. It will never end. It will never die. Drifter, get me out of here, Orin. It won't let go. I can smell it rotting. Emissary, and it smells you. You won't help it. Drifter, I said I'm done. Emissary, very well. Drifter, what the hell is wrong with you, you lunatic? Emissary, you asked about light and dark. Come find us again any time, Dredgen. And that's the end of that little dialogue there. So, presumably, what the Emissary of the Nine has done is literally uh, put Drifter or at least give him the sensations of being in a world that is nothing but dark, that no light energy exists in, and then, by comparison, putting him in a world where no dark energy exists and it is only light. Neither sound particularly fun. Yeah. That's going to now 
be a actually really good segue into the flower game. Just like that, just boop. Hey, guess yep. what? Here's your here's your minor in mathematics and physics, physics, and oh, by the way, a little bit of philosophy in there. Yeah, there's there's your minors in those three. Now it's time to go to the lore. Now it's time to go to the lore. So we we've done our definitions of how of what we think light and dark are as best we can as best we can figure, um, and you know those definitions are going to be important in the the continuing of of what we uh go through during this series so keep those ideas in mind as we talk about the flower game um now the the flower game comes from a lore book called the unveiling uh unveiling is very important in a lot of different ways uh but we're mostly going to focus on four cards of the unveiling um, for this particular portion of our discussion. And these are cards surrounding uh, what is called in the unveiling book, The Flower Game. This is also where we're going to be introduced to the titles of The Gardener and The Winnower. Uh, And I I think it's good to uh, just get it out there now Currently, I have every reason to believe that the winnower is the witness and the gardener either is the traveler or is potentially whatever is in control of the traveler. What, what, what leads you to that conclusion? So from the witness, for the, the, what leads me to the conclusion of the, the winnower being the witness is mostly just similarity in their uh their ideals what they're striving for uh additionally the the gardener or excuse me the the winnower in the unveiling lore book specifically uh mentions oryx as being one of its uh followers and we know now from witch queen that the witness was who Oryx learned the ability to take from, um, at least by Savathun's account. Because that was that was something that uh, that we we I think we've we've kind of waffled on a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we we had we had the idea that um, there was the darkness, the entity. Um, there was the witness, and and the two of those were were not necessarily were possibly not the same person because the way that the entity or the darkness talked to Oryx was very nonchalant. The whole, you know, hey, come in, have a beer with us, you know, take a load off. Whereas the witness was very much like death to all that walk in front, salvation for everyone. So yeah, that's... And but... what what has made me uh, kind of lean more towards the side of the witness and the winnower being the same was actually uh, in the communion mission uh, as okay. part of the Witch Queen story missions. In the communion mission, Eris Morn speaks to us over comms, and she says, the witness is a cacophony of thought and voices, and one of these voices is what spoke to you in the Black Garden. 
So I'm wondering if, you know, when we see the witness visually, he has all of these, you know, heads kind of floating in the smoke around him. Yeah. Uh, And if, if each of those is representative of a different voice and even when, when he speaks, it's like a num it's layered voices on top of each other. Yeah. So if I'm wondering if like different voices are have different personalities and those like each get a turn in the body kind of thing um <laughs> depending on what's going on and that might account for why we see some changes in presentation for uh dialogue with the witness interesting uh, okay okay i can i i can get on board with this so so it, it... Yeah, I get on board with this. Yeah, I like it. So I'm operating under that until something proves me wrong, essentially. So, 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 <laughs> now, so as as far as as far as we, the lore nerds of myth and stories, are concerned, mainly just the two of us. Uh, witness is the entity, is the darkness, is the head of all things darkness. Yes. Yep. Okay. Um and unproven fact number 1. Unproven fact number 1. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cuz I don't I don't want to be like this is this is the end all right. be all, right? Yeah, Cuz no. as soon as we say that they're going to come out with some bullshit like oh it was actually the puppet master pulling the strings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've already done that to us a couple of times. It was like, you, know, <laughs> you thought it was Oryx, but really it was Savathun. But wait, really it was the worms. But wait, really it was Rulk. How high does this go? How? Uh, what is this hierarchy? <laughs> Do we really have to start with foot soldiers and work our way up all the way up to the main guy in charge? Like, this is a bullshit. So, yeah, until, until proven otherwise, I am going to operate under the assumption the witness is the winner. Uh, okay. And that the traveler is. The gardener, the traveler, um, or the pale heart, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Didn't that just fuck your world up? <laughs> That's where we get a little interesting because the traveler. I think an argument could be made that the traveler isn't in it is in and of itself an entity, but sure. I think there's also an argument that could be made that the traveler is a ship that an entity can uh, project itself through similar to how the pyramid ships work for the witness. I like that. So travelers, either the gardener or gardener adjacent. (laughs) And, and, you know, until again, until we get proof otherwise. Now we're going to get into the unveiling uh i'm going to start with the unveiling card titled the gardener and the winnower i was going to say are are we going through the whole the entire lore book on this one uh it's not going to be in its entirety um it's going to be like the major bits though okay uh so we probably aren't going to get through the unveiling in its entirety but i want to at least get through the first one maybe two um and then we can we can see how we're doing on time. Okay. So, 
The unveiling, Gardner and the Winnower, goes as this. Once before a time, a gardener and a winnower lived together in a garden. It was once before a time because time had not yet begun. We did not live. We existed as principles of ontological dynamics that emerged from mathematical structures as bodiless and inevitable as the primes. The garden was the field of possibility that prefigured existence. So to, to offer some clarification there that I, I probably should have started with, uh, unveiling is written from the witness's point of view. Uh, the, the narrator for unveiling is the witness, is the winnower. So take everything in it with that grain of salt in mind. Um, additionally, it, this is destiny's genesis. This is how the universe was created, according to the winnower, at least. This, this is his version of in the beginning. Right. That these two things, the call it, that they're calling the gardener and the winnower, existed before time and existence itself. And uh, to continue, they existed because they had to exist. They had no antecedent and no constituents, and there is no instrument of causality by which they could be portioned into components and assigned to some systematic origin. If you were to follow the umbilical of history in search of some ultimate embryo that became you would end your journey marooned here in this garden. In the morning, the gardener pushed seeds down into the wet loam of the garden to see what they would become. In the evening, the winnower reaped the day's crop and separated what would flourish from what had failed. The day was longer than all of time, and the night was swifter than a glint of light on a falling sugar crystal. Insects buzzed between the flowers and worms slithered between the roots, feeding on what was and what might be, the first gradient in existence, the first dynamo of life. Rain fell from no sky, voices spoke without mouth or meaning, a tree of silver wings bloomed, yielded fruit shed feathers, and bloomed again. In the day between the morning and the evening, the gardener and the winnower played a game of possibilities. Okay, so there's a lot of metaphor happening here. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, I was, I was following, so, and then I wasn't. <laughs> what, what is happening here is the winnower is using metaphors and examples that we would understand to try and communicate something that is ununderstandable in, in a lot of ways. Um, like physics. <laughs> Nobody really <laughs> understands physics. We just have people that interpret it for us. Right. So um, so it, it gets a little... It's a little wonky here, but essentially... Wonky, um, that's a technical term. That's a technical <laughs> term, yeah. So the, the bit I want to focus on here. The day was longer than all of time and the night swifter than a glint of light. So 
when they're saying the gardener pushed seed in the morning, the gardener put seeds down to see what would blossom and the winnower would then reap the crop and separate what flourished from what failed is they are literally creating universes. Universes, not just like individual civilizations, like everything that exists within a universe, the laws that govern it, the, the fundamental things of, of that existence are, are being created and destroyed over and over and over again. And the, the entire time that they're doing this, the gardener and the winnower exist outside of these universes and have complete control over them. Uh, and the, so the gardener is planting the seeds of life for a universe to see what, what blossoms, what, what life turns into. And then the winnower is literally ending that universe and seeing what, what was successful and what failed to grow. Yeah. And that, that's a day quote unquote for the gardener and the winnower. And they've have been doing this since forever. And that's the hard, (laughs) that's the thing. It's so hard to quantify a reality outside of reality. Um, Because time doesn't exist. Like there's like there, there, there's no, that's a, that's a hard concept to, to, to it's hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. Um, Because all, all we know as humans are, are, this universe of laws like this this all the universal constants and stuff and you know like it, it, it to imagine a place without time without shape without form without anything right like mm-hmm. that's that's a, the the hardest thing somebody can imagine is nothing right uh because to to define nothing you have to have something Which is why they give us these like th- this more um, metaphorical representation when they're telling this story, so that we have something to imagine and something to hold on to that we can kind of understand. But so, Gardner and the Winnower, these primordial entities that exist above all other realities, are creating and destroying universes, and their day is the entire lifespan of a universe. And while they're waiting for a universe to grow before the winnower does what the winnower does, they're playing a game of possibilities. And they equate this to the flower game. And they talk about this in the next entry of Unveiling, which is just titled The Flower Game. And it has these rules. Let it be played upon an infinite two-dimensional grid of flowers rule one a living flower with less than two living neighbors is cut off it dies rule two a living flower with two or three living neighbors is connected it lives rule three a living flower with more than three living neighbors is starved and overcrowded. It dies. Rule four, a dead flower with exactly three living neighbors is reborn. It springs back to life. 
The only play permitted in the game is the arrangement of the initial flowers. This game fascinates kings. This game occupies the very emperors of thought. Though it has only four rules and the board is a flat, featureless grid, in it you will find changeless blocks, stoic as iron, and beacons and whirling pulsars, as well as gliders that soar out to infinity, and patterns that lay eggs and spawn other patterns, and living cells that replicate themselves wholly. In it, you may construct a universal computer with the power to simulate, very slowly, any other computer imaginable, and thus simulate whole realities, including nested copies of the flower game itself. And the game is undecidable. No one can predict exactly how the game will play out, except by playing it. And yet, this game is nothing compared to the game played by the gardener and the winnower. It resembles that game as a seed does a flower. No, as a seed resembles the star that fed the flower and all the life that made it. So I'm going to pause. Again, this is some, this is some, some metaphor to help us understand he- heavy what they're shit. doing. <laughs> so there, there's this flower game with these rules, and essentially, like, a flower needs to be connected enough to continue living, but not so connected or under, not overconnected or underconnected. Otherwise, it will die. And they're they're saying that this this is a game that anything can happen, and there's no way to know what the outcome of the game. What you will you have no way to know which flowers will die and which flowers will live, unless you just play the game. There's no way to predict it. And this example that they gave is still so much smaller, so much less complex than what the gardener and the winnower are actually doing. Uh, but it is the and that's just a, a the easiest thing for there. us to absorb and try to to offer as a a general understanding of what's going on. So this card continues. In their game, the gardener and the winnower discovered shapes of possibility. They foresaw bodies and civilizations, minds and cognitions, qualia and suffering. They learned the rules that governed which patterns would flourish in the game and which would dwindle. They learned those rules because they were those rules. And in time, the gardener became vexed. That's the end of that card. So not vexed in like the, hey, now he's a robot no, machine. No, vexed as in the like confused and frustrated. Like, yeah. Um. So what what they're describing is that you know the gardener planted the seeds, started life at a universe, knowing that the winnower is going to come through and kill off everything that didn't flourish, that didn't succeed in living. And the game is what lives and what dies in the universe. 
uh, is, is the repercussion of the game they're playing. The gardener is trying things, is trying like, you know, okay, I'm going to try this with this civilization or this with this civilization or I'm going to try this with this universe. I'm going to mix up, you know, maybe the laws of physics work a little different or maybe, you know, the laws of, you know, whatever it may be. Is, is trying to change the environment to see what happens, see what, uh, what comes of this new game. And slowly they, they learn the rules. And the Winnower says they learned the rules because they were the rules. Like they are the entities that are affecting the laws of these universes. And apparently the gardener was not necessarily happy with what those rules were becoming. I'm going to try to like wrap my head around some of this stuff. Okay. Gardner. Creating realities. Not not just universes. Whole realities. The laws that govern yep. them. Everything about them. Knowing that the winnower is just going to come by and kill it. Like he, he, that's his, that's his whole thing is he's just going to kill it. Playing this game of the flowers, right? Like a flower has to be close enough to a flower. Can't be close enough that it kills the other flower. Can't be far enough away that it kills the other flower. Can't be, you know, a dead flower is a bad flower. All of this happening over and over and over and over again in the course of infinite time, because time isn't there. And all of this happening under the rules of the the two entities, because the two entities are the only things that exist in this reality. Mm-hmm. The next card is titled The Final Shape, and it goes as such. It always ends the same, the gardener complained. This one stupid pattern. Aren't they beautiful? I asked, as the flowers opened and closed in patterns beyond the scope of entire universes, all devouring and perhaps everlasting. Not even we could know whether a pattern in the flowers would cycle forever or someday halt. They're as dull as carbon monoxide poisoning, the gardener groused, although carbon monoxide did not yet exist, and neither did anything that could be poisoned. The gardener kneeled to flick a patch of sod with her trowel. It struck an open flower, causing it to shut. Although I was the closer of flowers, that was my sole purpose. I felt no fear or jealousy. We had our assigned dominions, and always would. They're majestic, I said. They have no purpose except to subsume all other purposes. There is nothing at the center of them except the will to go on existing, to alter the game to suit their existence. They spare not one sliver of their totality for any other work. They are the end. The pattern corrected the errant flower effortlessly. The great flow went on unchanged. The gardener got up, brushed their knees, Every game we play, this one pattern consumes all the others, wipes out every interesting development, 
a stupid, boring exploit that cuts off entire possibility spaces from ever arising. There's so much that we will never get to see because of this pest. They chewed at their cracked lip, which existed only because of this allegory. I'm going to do something about it, they said. We need a new rule. So for anyone that hasn't picked up on this, the one pattern that always wins the game and always continues with nothing other than the unrelenting will to exist is the Vex. Or what becomes what we now know as the Vex. So the Vex are always, up till this point, the Vex were always the winners of the flower game. So the so the gardener is vexed. Well, I guess in in some ways more than, more more than one way, yeah. Uh, Shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was then, I was trying to figure out like what like. It, okay, so 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 the things that always win being the vex. What the I'm. What is the supporting evidence of that? So the supporting evidence for that. Uh, uh, they have no purpose except to subsume all other purposes. There is nothing at the center of them except the will to go on existing and to alter the game to suit their existence. They spare not one sliver of their totality for any other work. They are the end. So I, the only thing that this equates to for me is the Vex. They are their sole purpose as a as a thing, as an existence, is to do whatever they need to do to the universe as a whole to continue their existence. That's that's mind blowing. And like like where did this come from? Like where like where where did this where did this thing that wanted to exist only to exist was it like just a, a, a glitch in the system was it just an anomaly like what but it's happening in every single universe they create it happens in every single universe they create and i think what the what the winnower is saying because the, the winnower doesn't see this as a bad thing the winnower right. sees this as like this majestic perfect thing the uh, best thing ever and i think what what it is is this is the in the destiny universe at least the ultimate outcome of a causal universe ooh there will always be something that comes to the logic of i must exist at all costs and even if there's multiple things that come to that conclusion whichever thing is the strongest is always going to be what's left is always going to be sure. the end in a causal universe. And because Vex are very computer-like, they're very binary, they're very... Because Vex has... are, by their own definition, causal and cannot interpret paracausal things. I think that they, they would be the end of the Destiny universe in that dark future that Osiris saw where it was nothing but Vex. 
being left if, unchecked, basically. If they were unchecked by paracausal powers. Interesting. So I, I kind of think the dark universe we saw in the Curse of Osiris, where it was nothing but Vex, yeah. is the end of our universe's flower game under normal circumstances. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I, can, I can get on board with this. So, the gardener decides, like, this one thing taking over every game we play, you know, snuffs out so much possibility. So many things that we will never get to see happen because this thing always wins. And the winnower is like, yeah, we've, we've found our answer. We have found what is the, the shape of the universe. Because it is always, every time we play, going, turning into this shape. You know, this thing is always winning. And the gardener is, doesn't like it. He's like, nope, I'm done with this. I'm making my own rules. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. <laughs> his, his ball being the traveler. Yes. <laughs> that leads us right into <laughs> the next lore card called the first knife and it goes as such i looked up in shock i said what what do you mean a special new rule something to the gardener threw up their hands i don't know to reward those who make space for new complexity a power that helps those who make strength from heterodoxy and who steer the game away from gridlock. Something to ensure that there's always someone building something new. It'll have to be separate from the rest of the rules, running in parallel so it can't be compromised, and we'll have to be very careful so that it doesn't disrupt the whole game. All you will do, I said with rising panic and fury, is delay the dominant pattern that will overrun the others. It is inevitable. One final shape. No, it'll be different. Everything will be different. Everywhere you look. Everything will be the same. Your new rule will only make great false cysts of horror full of things that should not exist, that cannot withstand existence, that will suffer and scream as their rich blisters fill with effluent and rot around them. And when they pop, they will blight the whole of the garden. Whatever exists because it must exist and because it permits no other way of existence has the absolute claim to existence. That is the only law. No, the gardener said, I am the growth and preservation of complexity. I will make myself into a law within the game. And thus we too became parts of the game, and the laws of the game became gnomic and open to change by our influence. And I had only one purpose and one principle in the game, and I could do nothing but continue to enact that purpose, because it was all that I was and ever would be. I looked at the gardener, and I looked at my hands, and I discovered the first knife. So my my interpretation of this um 
like like we said before, I'm not going to try and explain what's actually maybe happening. I'm going to try and explain the the metaphors and and so we can keep this at a like understandable level. Cuz cuz uh, that, that, I think that's the thing that needs to be kind of foremost, right? Like all of this is happening in a non-space yeah. with non-things. Like the gardener didn't really throw up his hands because his hands didn't exist yet. But for for the sake of like keeping our sanity in trying yeah. to interpret yeah. all of this, like we're yeah, we're we're going to operate with that. Um, okay. <laughs> so Gardner and the Winnower have their little game. The the this one pattern, this one way of existing always wins. The gardener says we're the universe is is being robbed of so many things, so many possibilities, because this one thing is always what wins. So I'm gonna put in a new rule. I'm gonna make a new rule for our game that's gonna help those that want to invent new things, that want to continue building and I think that's going to change the outcome. Because uh, remember, you can't know, you can't predict the outcome of the flower game without playing it. That's without what they playing, said in the right. two cards yeah. ago. So the, the, the gardener is saying, like, I think I'm going to introduce this new rule, and I think it's going to change everything. I think it's going to, we're going to see something completely new from it. That's, that's a, an interesting thought there in itself, right? On the one hand, they say that nothing you cannot predict how the game will be how the game will end, but in the same token, it always ends with the Vex. Well you but you can't predict how it's gonna get there. I think Oh okay, the, okay. I think that's like, okay. That's a that's you, a better you can't know what civilizations are gonna flourish and what civilizations aren't. Uh they are observing that every single time the this pattern which we are attributing to the vex is what wins but the avenue that it gets there is probably different every time okay um and the the gardener is going so far as to say like it doesn't believe the results are even going to be the same with this new rule in place because the winner is like you're just delaying the inevitable inevitable so the the winner is getting angry about this because not only does the winner believe this is not going to change the final outcome, the final shape will remain the same. It's only delaying it and is only causing suffering for those things that in any other version of our game would have been snuffed out quickly. Now you're just forcing them into this extended suffering and the result is going to be the same. So like it... From from the winner's point of view, what the gardener is proposing is very cruel. And so the gardener says that, well, whatever this new rule is that we make, it needs to do what I want it to do, but it can't disrupt the whole system. Like, introducing this rule can't end the universe. And that's where he's talking about it has to run in parallel to it, and it but it can't like it it can't influence and it can't perverse i guess i i don't know so it doesn't specifically say anything about influencing or reversing it 
it's saying that, um, so I'll reread. It says something to ensure there's always someone building something new. It'll have to be separate from the rest of the rules running in parallel so that it can't be compromised. And we'll have to be very careful so that it doesn't disrupt the whole game. So what I think they're trying to say there is that this rule cannot be tied to any of the other rules. AKA it needs to be paracausal. Right, right. Because if you tie it to one of the other rules, then, then it eventually is something causal. can just exploit it. It yep. will be inherently causal. It will be exploited by this pattern or the vex and you know it hasn't actually changed anything uh so it needs to be separated from it and it needs to be very carefully monitored so it doesn't end the universe and so it sounds like the way that the gardener decided was the best way to do this was to put itself in the game so that it would be able to monitor the use of this new rule shit and by the same token the winnower is all is is done the same is in the guard is in the game to monitor the use of its you know the fun the function that it has of this paracausal rule dude this is this is this is mind fucky I mean, yeah, it's it's the unveiling just is. <laughs> it's just, like this is like trying to like everybody talks about truth to power being like the oh yeah, but no, truth to power is like super super easy to understand. I don't know why the unveiling right now is just like mind fucky. So I think that we have maybe reached a good spot to pause for the evening and make this the the end of our first episode in this this series um which I i'm mean, expecting my brain's fried. i'm expecting will be maybe two or three episodes two um, or three you silly goose <laughs> so but i do want to do a quick recap just because this stuff is very crazy and out there deep like it's um, it's nuts okay so recap what is light uh light we've we've identified is a energy that affects the fundamental forces of the universe which we see as arc void and solar what is dark dark is an energy that cancels out light and affects entropy within the universe these are neutral forces these are neutral forces they are not they are not good they're not bad they are literally tools they are they are things that we can use to do stuff mhm the stuff that we do and the things that we are doing with them those actions could be labeled as good or bad and therefore be seen as good or bad but the light itself and the darkness itself are not good and are not bad. They Correct. they are completely neutral. They are just a tool. It's it's like it's like saying, um, I started to pick up my phone and say, this cell phone is bad, but <laughs> I mean 
this it, is the guy that does it on his cell phone. It's like saying uh, gravity is good or bad. They're just things that exist. They're just things. They they don't they don't have a an affiliation. So far in the unveiling, we have not had any type of ties of one to the other, other than what we are are saying right now as the the winnower who is telling the story of the in the beginning the the book of the book of destiny genesis mm-hmm. uh is telling the story and saying we've been playing this game building universes destroying them and 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 the chief component of the ending of these universes is this pattern this this thing that that you and i are equating to as the vex that is the final shape that is happening at this point in time in the game the 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 gardener is like this is fucking boring like i'm sick of seeing this shit just die like it's what's the you know like this is dumb something else has to be able to flourish here like something else we're we're losing all this all this potentialness here so i'm just going to s- create my own rules to this game and stick myself in it which because he the, it he it the the gardener is as as itself the rules of the game and the rules of that existence the winnower is the same thing and has to follow that same rule and therefore puts himself in the game mm-hmm. itself. The, the gardener and the winnower still have to follow their nature as they did their nature even before they were part of the game. Yes. The gardener has to bring complexity uh gardener has to bring growth and the preservation of complexity and the winnower has to be the one that reaps the day's crop and separates what would flourish from what has failed yeah didn't know you needed a uh math major physics major and a philosophy major to understand this shit holy cat my brain is fried dude like that that was a lot of information to try to shove into two hours it was i it was i think you're i think that's 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 a lot of high level understanding too like i mean literally like the breakdown of 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 energy the the breakdown of of everything dude this is this is yeah we uh we we've we've bitten off a lot with this topic uh hopefully we're gonna do it though the way that we've presented it is at least makes a little bit of sense um but uh i think we're gonna end it there for tonight so absolutely uh we will pick up yeah uh we're just gonna we'll pick up next time with um the finishing of the unveiling book and we're gonna dive a little more into the witness and the traveler uh, as entities in and of themselves. Um, then we'll go from there. So. Sweet. Uh, well, I only have one thank you tonight, and that is to my sanity. <laughs> Thanks, sanity, for staying intact and coming along for this ride. 
Um, Tends to be useful, yeah. Most of the time, you're the best. Um, Yeah. Myth, got any thank yous? Thank you again to everyone that listens to our crazy crackpot theories. Hopefully, uh, like I said, hopefully this this makes some sort of sense. Uh, and and you guys can kind of understand where where our heads are at while we're trying to to think about these you know un these these things that are outside of reality. Um and say just a uh shout out like I said I'm going to probably do this every episode now. Uh just so people know, uh we do have some social media accounts up. Uh you can connect with us at uh at myths and stories spelt the same way the title is uh via twitter um say or just me with at mythborn uh also on twitter we've had a couple people reach out it's been really awesome uh to to hear from some people and know that you know it's not just numbers on a screen when we see that there's x amount of of uh downloads and such so that's always remember kids you're more than just a statistic to us Um and we we're gonna be po- that's where we post like uh updates and let people know the newest episodes are up and all that. So yeah, just uh check those out. And uh other than that, I I think that's it for tonight. And if you made it this far, thank you. Like seriously. Yeah. Because this yeah. this this shit's this shit's hard. This episode is deep and there's a lot of shit in here that even even Myth and I are have like a, a very broad understanding of um so yeah thanks uh well then with that uh from all of us lore nerds to all of you guardians out there who are now physics maths and philosophy majors we'll see you next week <laughs>